Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, California's mask mandate for K-12 schools ends tomorrow night, nearly two years to the day after schools across the state shut down in the face of a frightening new virus. Governor Newsom announced last month that the state will move to strongly recommend rather than require masks at schools, and now districts get to decide whether to follow suit. We want to hear from you. How are you feeling about the state lifting its mandate? And if your district is making masks optional, will you or your child still mask up? Tell us after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. California will lift its school mask mandate just before midnight tomorrow. But that doesn't mean masks will no longer be required at all schools. Districts have been allowed to make their own decisions. Many will follow the state's lead, including San Francisco Unified, or they'll lift their mask requirement a little after March 12th, like San Diego Unified. But the state's largest school district, LAUSD, is still on the fence and appears likely to keep requiring masks for now. This hour, we talk with state and district officials and hear how you are feeling about California's school mask mandate ending. Many of you have already weighed in at KQED Forum. This listener writes, for example, Good, this must end at some point. My child cannot go on wearing a mask. When better of a time than when cases are down and non-existent in his school? Emily writes on Instagram, This is a terrible idea until there is a vaccine for children under five. Masking was never just for the individual wearing it, but now we're leaving the youngest behind. And Brooke writes this, full-time elementary teacher and elementary times two parent plus preschool parent here, I cannot wait to see my students smile and for them to see mine, masks optional. Joining me now is Dr. Erica Pond, California State Epidemiologist and Deputy Director for the Center for Infectious Diseases at California's Department of Public Health. Dr. Pond, glad to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. 
So, so tell me, Dr. Pond, what were the factors that the state weighed in deciding to lift the school mask mandate? Sure. So we know that masks have absolutely effectively reduced risk in schools and in the community, especially when disease transmission is high. And that's when the impact is the greatest, when rates are higher. So we have been looking at all along a combination of the number of cases and case rates, what is the test positivity. We've also really been looking at impact on hospitals. So hospital census overall, what percent of people in the hospital have COVID. And also we have modelers that, and also look at, you know, external models that look at projections and when we think things, um, you know, sort of are flattening out and are, are at much lower levels. And so we used all of those factors to help make this decision. And by lifting the mandate, essentially the state has shifted the responsibility of requiring masking to the school districts as well as to preschool and child care settings. Has the state set up guidelines to do this effectively and keep, keep kids safe since, as you say, masking is effective and has been proven so? Sure. So we, um, as far as guidelines on making those decisions. And part of the reason we have shifted in this direction from uh, requirement to recommendations is there is, of course, local variability, especially in a state this size. Uh, And we actually issued some considerations for for local authorities to think about. So there's everything from, you know, what are the pandemic patterns of the circulating virus at the time? What are your local case rates and hospital impacts? Um, What's happening in your school? Are you still seeing cases um, that likely were exposed outside of school, but are you still seeing positive cases get reported. Um, and then in the future, it'll be thinking about what's what's circulating, what the variant, what do we know about the variant? And then knowing about your own vaccination rates locally, certainly the risk is much, much lower in communities that have higher vaccination rates and schools that have higher vaccination rates. What's the indoor air ventilation like? Um, availability and accessibility of testing and uh, well-fitted and well-filtered masks um, when they're needed. And, you know, I think in the future as well, thinking about the evolution of more treatments for for children that are effective and available. Um, And then also thinking about the population in your community and and in your school. Do you serve a higher risk population? Do you have a lot of um, uh, children or students with underlying medical conditions or not? What are the equity considerations? Are you serving a community that's disproportionately exposed and impacted by COVID-19? And that, of course, is one of the biggest factors, I think, um, for places that are maintaining for longer. And, And of course, staffing and other things. But it's also important to note that we have said we're kind of looking at this as like four different sort of layers of shifting. So we had required, we're shifting to a strong recommendation at some point, you know, uh, as things continue to improve and taking all those considerations that may be a recommendation and or optional. So we're still recommending this, but again, letting locals really look at their own uh, information and communities and, and make some local decisions. For districts that are not taking all these additional steps to protect kids or are in areas where the case rates are flatlining as opposed to dropping or or they're even rising in some places of the state, in some regions of the state. Does the state have a way of trying to intervene in these districts if they if they oppose masking and, and decide that uh, they will no longer enforce the requirement? Well, I think there's a few things there. First of all, there's, again, local um, authorities, there's local public health and uh, local districts. And I think 
You know, the other analogy we have used many times over this pandemic are there are several layers of protection and masking is one of them. Um, but again, if, especially if, if uh, districts and schools can use these other layers, if they have really good ventilation, um, if uh, they have a highly vaccinated community or a community that uh, has not uh, had a lot of cases recently, then I think they, they can use these other tools. Um, and certainly if there are increasing outbreaks or other things, I think um, and the first line on that will be local public health departments, you know, hearing about any local outbreaks or increases in transmission. But again, we do feel like we're at a place now where, um, you know, the, the, the levels in general have definitely continued to decrease. Well, what are the chances of a statewide mask mandate coming back in the face of a new surge or a new variant? I think we must remain prepared to adjust with conditions. If there's one thing we learned um, is this virus is unpredictable and we um, we have not been able to always completely predict what will change. You know, we know there will be new variants. We just don't know if they'll be more severe or less and what the characteristics uh, that will evolve. So we'll have to adapt. But um, but yes, we do want people to be prepared that, you know, depending on, on how this virus evolves, um, for any future surges that there are possibilities of needing to re reuse these different tools and all of our tools continue to get better and evolve over time as well. Well, we did ask our listeners to weigh in on how they were feeling about the state's decision. And, and we especially invite our, our teachers, parents uh, with kids in schools, kids themselves, if they're able to, and school officials, 866-733-6786 is the number to call. You can also share your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. We're lucky to have a state official with us, Dr. Erica Pond, talking about what's behind the state's decision and the ways that they are still trying to protect children. Dr. Pond, Charles tweets, Tragically, parents, the Board of Education, and government does not care if we have a quality education system or not because they believe that teachers are disposable. No one cares if teachers bring COVID to elderly family or will have to do excessive paperwork to get leave if they catch COVID. What's your reaction? Um, I think I want to, again, remind uh, this person and everyone, we have a, a lot of great tools at our disposal. We have a safe and effective vaccines. Um, we have robust testing programs and resources for schools. They have been our highest priority as far as uh, state-funded testing. Um, we're actually continuing to work on school-located vaccination programs to really make sure that access is not the reason people aren't getting vaccinated. And of course, a lot of outreach uh, um, to different populations about the importance and safety and effectiveness of vaccines, um, and also a lot of guidance around mm -hmm. ventilation. So we've been providing a lot of tools to keep teachers and students safe in schools. What is the status of the state's plan to mandate COVID-19 vaccines at public and private schools? So uh, as sort of issued uh, last fall, once the FDA approves uh, the vaccines for, and our anticipation is that the first approval might be because it was the first age group for the EUA, if once 12 to 15 year olds um, get full licensure, then uh, then the state will have a, K a seventh grade and up requirement. So if that approval happens, um, uh, you know, in the coming months and before July 1st, then it would be effective July 1st. That is the current status. And if it came after July 1st, it would be effective the following year? Uh, it would be effective January 1st of 2023. 
Right. And so so you're waiting for the FDA to give its full authorization as opposed to the emergency youth use authorization that this vaccine has now. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's correct. And it would apply to kids 12 and up or uh, seventh grade, essentially, and up. One of the things I understand is that it does have a personal belief exemption, meaning that parents could say that they do not, they have personal reasons for which they do not uh, want their child to be vaccinated. The only way to actually require a doctor to sign off on it is to make the COVID vaccine part of the state's list of required vaccines for kids in schools. Are you in favor of adding it to that list? I am. I think that this disease has caused um, a lot of morbidity and mortality and certainly more than many other vaccine-preventable diseases. So you are in favor of it. There is a bill, I believe it's by Senator Richard Pan, saying that uh, it would require this to be on, on the state's list. It would actually remove the FDA authorization requirement as well. And so what would it take uh, to add it to the state's list of required vaccines at this point? It does have to go through that legislative process. So um, so that bill would need to move forward or a different bill in the future if that one does not. And you support the bill? Um, I mean, as a, a state official, I, I can't take a position on the specific bills. Um, but I will say again that I do think this disease and this virus has caused, you know, high levels of morbidity and mortality. And not to mention, you know, we just had a legislative hearing yesterday about long COVID and we're just now learning about the long-term impacts of COVID um, in everyone, and, and we know even less in children. Uh, so I think it's um, it's something we want to continue to prevent and protect, especially when we have these tools to prevent. Well, a couple more listener comments. A listener writes, so relieved the mandate is finally lifting. I cried tears of joy and of relief. My six-year-old daughter can't wait to see her friends, smiles and breathe freely all day. I will not miss seeing her come home with a damp, dirty cloth covering half her face every day. This listener tweets, as a SFUSD parent, I'm disappointed and angry. CDC and DPH guidelines are centered on hospitalization and deaths, completely ignoring the real risk of long COVID, which follows even mild cases, including in children. Universal masks seem like a small ask. You, our listeners, can also share your reactions. You can call us at 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can post your thoughts or questions by emailing us, forum at kqed.org. Again, we're talking with Dr. Erica Pond, California State Epidemiologist and Deputy Director for the Center for Infectious Diseases at California's Department of Public Health. And we'll have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm a first-grade teacher in the East Bay, and I am very excited for the mask mandate to end. Our first graders have missed out on so much, so many opportunities to learn phonics patterns and speech patterns by seeing my mouth move. They've missed out on a connection of seeing me smile and kind of understand what a happy glare looks like and maybe a frustrated glare looks like. Whenever there's a conflict between my students, Up until now, I've taken them outside to take their masks off so we can see each other face by face. I'm really excited to have this opportunity to connect with them academically and social emotionally where they can see my face, read my expressions, and I can see their faces. They can see their peers' faces. I'm going to continue to wear my mask because I have a little sibling who is unable to get vaccinated at the moment. So I want to do it so I don't bring it home to him. And so, I mean, I just don't want to get it. Like, why would anybody want to even just take that risk? That was a Bay Area fifth grader. And we're talking about how California's mask mandate for its K-12 schools will end tomorrow night. Do you support the state's move? Or if masks become optional in your district, will you still mask up? We're talking with Dr. Erica Pond, a California state epidemiologist and deputy director for the Center for Infectious Diseases at California's Department of Public Health. Also with us now is Dr. Grace Lee, Associate Chief Medical Officer for Practice Innovation and Pediatric Infectious Diseases at Stanford Children's Health. Dr. Lee, glad to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. And so I wanted to ask you, we heard Dr. Pond say that masking is effective, and we know that a CDC study released this week said that masking in schools did, in fact, reduce the number of COVID cases. So are you concerned that the state going from required to strongly recommended will actually be heated, that people will continue to mask up in large numbers? Well, first, I just you know want to thank Dr. Pan and all her colleagues because I have to say all of our public health colleagues during this time have gone through so much and have had to lead us through so much uncertainty. And just want to recognize that this continues to be a period of uncertainty. Although we are in a very different point in the pandemic than when we were two years ago for most individuals, you know I think uh, many of us who are pediatricians um, continue to be concerned that we're not quite yet there for kids. Um, But to get to the issue of mandates versus strongly recommended, you know, I do want to say that um, it is clear that everyone believes that masks are effective um, and that uh, moving from mandates to strongly recommended in individual settings continues to be a strong recommendation. I I guess I worry that some people are hearing, um, well, we don't have to mask anymore. And I, I don't think that's in fact, what people are saying, I think people still are moving forward with this strong recommendation and recognize the importance of the masking. Uh, but because of the way it's being framed, I think we're going from one extreme to the other. I see. So you are concerned that people will read this as you don't have to do it anymore and that more, more people will decide not to wear the mask in schools, even I though it's strongly think- recommended? 
Yeah, I do think some people are hearing that we don't have the rule anymore, and they are equating that with we don't have to mask. Um, so I do think some social norms will continue to shift, and I think that is the challenge. But part of our you know, responsibility as um, parents, pediatricians, community members is to make sure uh, that we are hearing the component of this, which is really that there's still a strong recommendation to mask in indoor settings. Um, it's just that there's not going to be um, a requirement or a mandate, but it doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. But a lot of people say that it appears that COVID-19 is less severe in children. What's your reaction when you hear that? Um, I get <laughs> uh, a little frustrated in part because, you know, uh, we do care for children at our hospital who do get very sick. Um, and so during the Omicron wave, so one of the um, uh, things about hospitalization in kids, uh, there have been over 12 million hospitalizations since the beginning of the pandemic, but nearly a third of those happened in the past few months with the Omicron wave. Um, and part of that has been that our children are not as um, highly vaccinated as the older adult population. Uh, so, you know, clearly we saw way more hospitalizations in the Omicron wave than we have with any other previous wave. So they are at risk. And Jennifer also writes, the list, lifting of the mask mandate in schools is a failure of public health and is extremely ill-timed. If we want to end this pandemic for good, we need to use all the tools in the toolbox, which includes non-pharmaceutical interventions. Kids don't mind wearing masks, and we should be providing every student and teacher with high filtration, tight-fitting masks like KN95s and KF94s. The Omicron surge demonstrated that kids are at risk of death and long COVID. We should be doing everything we can to protect kids from death and potentially lifelong disability. What do we know about long COVID in kids? Because we've also gotten a bunch of comments related to concerns around long COVID that can follow mild illnesses. Yeah, thanks so much for that question. And, you know, uh, Dr. Pan alluded to the fact that um, there is clearly emerging data in the adult population that as many as you know between 10 and 30% of adults who have COVID infection can go on to develop symptoms consistent with uh, long COVID. Uh, we are also finding the same in children, although the rate may not be as high following infection. Uh, we are um, seeing kids present with uh, chronic symptoms that extend well beyond the acute infectious period. Um, what I would say is we're still trying to get a better understanding of that. NIH has actually funded uh, what's called the um, Recover Initiative to look specifically at understanding and defining what long-haul COVID means. And they have a focus on children, um, recognizing that it may present similarly and yet differently in kids compared to adults. We have a lot yet to learn about it, but what I can say is that clinically, um, there are long-haul COVID clinics um, that are very much needed for children uh, across the U.S., and there are parents and uh, kids you know, seeking help for this. Well, let me go to callers. And of course, again, that number 866-733-6786. John in San Jose. Hi, John. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Thanks for um, calling. I have a question. I, I'm, I'd love to just kind of get your, your thoughts on this. Um, you talked a little bit earlier about various uh, uh, layered transmission uh, protective measures, such as masks and community transmission and all of that. You know, if if indeed for kids under five, at least, if, if the vaccine authorization may be coming in the next, you know, sort of month or two, what was the rationale behind pushing uh, the timing of removing the mask requirements, especially for kids under five, if indeed a vaccine is sort of near? Why not wait until at least that's authorized or potentially the end of the school year, which seems like a natural, natural break point? John, thanks. Dr. Pond, let me go to you. 
Sure. I think, you know, again, this is, um, as as we've heard from all the comments from uh, previously, this is, uh, there's a broad spectrum of, of opinions on the impact of masking. And um, so I think, you know, and, and back to the Swiss cheese model, I think when there's more virus circulating, you need as many layers as possible. And as things improve, we can gradually ease up on certain layers and monitor. Um, so again, there's still other variability as far as, uh, you know, and there often is what we call kind of a cocooning effect when you, um, even for those that are not vaccinated or not eligible, if the community around them is vaccinated and you have low circulating rates, that's still actually protective. And again, all of these other things, so the, the ventilation, uh, making sure there's, again, testing resources that we're um, providing at all levels. So I think, you know, it, as, as again, the, the levels have gone down, you can start to, each layer is, there's less virus to go through those holes of the Swiss cheese. And so you may not need every single layer and you're gonna adapt that to the situation. And I think also just learning to, we're all needing to learn to live with this virus and we really wanna empower and educate people on what those tools are. John, thanks for the question. Dr. Lee, I'm curious if there have been studies about the cost of masks, meaning, for example, what we heard in that voicemail from the teacher uh, right after the break talking about, you know, kids' ability to really, to be empathic, to really uh, see people's mouths move, how that's important for learning. Teachers talk about how that's important for learning phonics and so on. Can you tell me if you know much about the impact of masks on their development, on their learning? and even their socio-emotional interactions? Uh, well, certainly um, our kids have grown up uh, differently in the past few years. And for those who have really young children, it's you know, been very different experience for them. Um, you know, I think a lot about um, a couple of things. One is that there have been, it, it is mask, well, we do know that masks are effective at uh, preventing uh, infection transmission. But one of the things that I think um, you're getting at is what is the potential long-term impact of these masks? I do want to put this in the context of, you know, what is the long-term impact of COVID and also recognize that uh, the COVID pandemic itself ended up shifting the way people had to learn over the past few years. And that has been uh, an incredible challenge. And in some instances, you know, I think a blessing in that there have been schools that have been um, able to respond to ensure that they are inclusive and in how they're thinking about education, um, recognizing that it's not always one size fits all. So some kids have actually, I've heard stories both directions. Some kids um, have really missed the in-person learning and other kids have really um, uh, thrived actually on, uh, on online education in part because of their learning styles and then the way they learn and those differences over time. Um, what I will say is that um, they, I do uh, think that the developmental stage of young kids is always something we're thinking about. And we very much as pediatricians endorse um, you know, creative approaches to figuring out how to help kids learn um, in different environments. And I think that uh, it continues to be a challenge for us, uh, but I do think that there are, uh, ability, our ability to be able to innovate and adapt is probably the most important thing. I don't think it means that there's only one way we can learn and that way is only without masks. I think we have learned that there are many ways we can learn. And I'll just give the example from healthcare. I mean, we just thought so many things were impossible, uh, whether it was seeing people by telehealth or whether it was um, you know, being, being able to educate learners. So uh, students and residents and fellows 
during the pandemic. And yet what I've seen and witnessed has been just um, incredible innovation and people thinking about how to help people learn in different ways. And I think that's a good thing. Again, we're talking with Dr. Grace Lee, pediatric infectious diseases doctor at Stanford Children's Health, also Dr. Erica Pond, California State epidemiologist, about California's mask mandate lifting for its K-12 students and about the effectiveness of this decision in terms of its ability to keep kids, teachers, parents, families safe. I want to play a cut from Riverside Unified School District. This is um, from the district's board president, Brent Lee, talking about how the different how the district's decision to lift its mask mandate is in line in with the state, but asking families to be patient and understanding with each other. I would like to remind families how important it is to be kind and respectful of personal choice for masking in schools. No one should make assumptions regarding someone's beliefs or health status based upon their choice to wear or not wear a mask, nor should they comment on them. Dr. Pond, this suggests that there are concerns that kids might be bullied. And a lot of the a lot of the reports um, and conversation has actually been concerned about bullying of kids who decide to continue to wear masks. Is this something you're hearing? And have you asked districts to take precautions around this? Um, and before I answer that too, I want to mention and, and along these lines that uh, not only do we still strongly recommend, but we are clear that no one can be prevented from wearing one. Um, and we have heard concerns about this, um, again, given how uh, unfortunately divisive this issue has become in certain communities. Uh, and so I, I have heard that it could potentially be, but because this is just now transitioning, I think it'll be interesting to hear what is actually happening. And I do think we all are collectively trying to communicate that to be kind and be respectful and really respect individual um, sort of practices on what people feel safe doing and what they want to do for their own selves and their families. Well, Eric writes, last night, our school district decided to align with the state and end the mask mandate. Our child will continue to mask in class. Masking teaches our child to be empathetic and considerate of others that are more vulnerable. Voluntary masking teaches children that you should do the right thing because it's right, not because you are required to. Gracie, what do you think about concerns around children being treated differently or being bullied if they continue to mask? Um, well, I certainly think this is a moment for all of us to learn and to teach um, in um, two things. You know, so I really appreciate the comments um, that were just played, which is that, uh, you know, teaching our children respect for others and for differences in the way um, we do things, whether it's differences in the way we learn or differences in the way we choose to protect ourselves. Um, that is so important. And, you know, as many as of us learn during the pandemic, we don't always know what people are going through with their own health, with the health of loved ones. Um, and many children and families have clearly been impacted by COVID, including having family members who have died from COVID. So this transition from a collective responsibility to an individual responsibility, um, you know, may feel challenging to some, but I, again, will point to the opportunity it gives us as, you know, teachers, as educators, as leaders in the community, as parents, uh, to demonstrate the importance of respect and empathy for others. I mean, I think the other point I want to make is just that this is also a great teaching opportunity uh, for us to help kids really understand risk and understand um, context in determining their risk. 
Um, and I do feel like that can be something that is a lifelong skill that'll be really important. So this is a great moment for us, uh, again, as uh, parents and teachers and schools uh, for, to be able to show kids um, how to keep themselves safe. Well, we've got a lot of more comments coming in. Ahimsa writes, masks should never have been mandated. Samantha writes, keep them masks. We're still getting alerts from exposures. And David writes, I'm a father of a three-year-old and I don't believe the mandate should be lifted. It would seem to me that the reason cases are low is because masks are in place. It would be like saying nobody has broken into my house, so I'm going to lock my door. Thanks for all that you do. Let me go to Jeff in Los Altos. Hi, Jeff. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, you know, I believe in following the science. I was the first to get my kids vaxxed as quickly as possible. I'm boosted and vaxxed and have masked consistently. But you know, the, the science is very clear that uh, cloth masks don't do anything to stop Omicron, you know. Um, and you can go to school with a cloth mask on and sit there and shed virus all day. It's the, the only masks that are truly effective are these KN95s. And most of them don't fit children. And they're also, you know, very difficult to wear. I know people that work in dangerous healthcare settings that just refuse to wear one all day. It's very difficult to breathe through them, right? So I, I just think that we have this, um, we're not actually following the science at all when we just mandate masking at this point. I think we need to, as the, as the, as the evidence changes, we need to, or as the situation changes, we need to reevaluate re it. I also say, like, you know, NPR on the 16th of February did a report on All Things Considered saying there's no study showing that wearing masks in schools will slow the spread of the virus. Now, CDC just put out this study that, that said that it did, but their study is based on uh, Delta variant. It's from the from the days, from the Delta variant days. Um, for Omicron, yeah. Omicron's quite different. And so I just think, I, I think, and I'm just surprised that your guest is not actually, you know, citing the actual real science on the ground right now. That's the reality, right? Either you wear a KN95 mask, which is very, very difficult to enforce in children and, and quite a burden for them, or you actually have an ineffective mask policy. And I also just want to say one more thing. is My children have had to, like, wear masks outdoors in doing sports in the heat. There's absolutely no way they're going to transmit the virus to each other outdoors. But, you know, they're likely to overheat or have respiratory problems as a result. Well, Jeff, thanks. You're putting a lot out there. Let me just go to Dr. Pond, who needs to leave us at the break, to respond to some of the things that you're saying. Sure. So I think, you know, what is important to acknowledge across all of this is that uh, there are very few things that are absolutely black and white. There's a spectrum. So absolutely, the best fitting mask with the best filtration, such as a respirator, so and there's different levels of respirator, is the most protective. But we have shown, um, you know, in the community, actually, in one of our own studies here in California, that um, so wearing a mask compared to no mask is still better than not wearing a mask. And it's also important to be able to have something uh, to your point that's comfortable and that can be fitted. So there is a spectrum and, you know, just like other uh, risk, you know, uh, and harm reduction, you need to make decisions for what's going to be the most usable um, and, and most adaptable. So I think that's, that's my response to, to that. Well, Dr. Pond, we appreciate having you on today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The state will strongly recommend not require masks in K-12 school settings beginning tomorrow night. And you, our listeners, are telling us how you feel about that. You can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum, or email your thoughts at forum at kqed.org. We've got Dr. Grace Lee with us, who is Associate Chief Medical Officer for Practice Innovation and Pediatric Infectious Diseases at Stanford Children's Health. And joining me now is Ilaria Bauer, a superintendent at Alum Rock Unified School District. Ilaria Bauer, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. So, Very glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you on. So what did your district decide to do? And you're in the Santa Clara County, right? Yes, we are in, on the east side of Santa Clara County. And um, we have decided to keep the mask mandate till the end of the year. Hmm. What made you decide that? Well, um, you know, I have been listening to the conversation and it's really Um, important to remember that we have a very diverse um, demographic across not only our county, but the state. And there, our uh, community was the hardest hit with COVID and Omicron um, during this pandemic time. And we are still getting, you know, cases uh, about every other day in our schools. So um, it is very important for us to keep the safe of the safety of our students and of our staff. So that's what made us decide to keep the masks. So have you heard reactions from parents and what do they tend to be about your decision? You know, this is very interesting because throughout the pandemic, our parents have been very supportive of our decisions. They know that we monitor the data. They know that we have the safety of their students and their children first. And all of the decisions that we make, even though our neighboring districts may be different, um, we have a very unique situation in Alum Rock. So um, for the most part, our parents have been very, very supportive. Um, We have, you know, occasionally one or two just asking for more information for the length of this decision. We are going to go all the way to the end of the year and we're going to reassess to see how we move forward to our extended year programming and then next year. So how will you reassess? What will you look for? Well, we're, we're monitoring, you know, the, the presence of the contagion in our schools, right? And so right now, if we have about a case or two or three every other day, that means that we still have um, Omicron in our midst. So that's, that's the, the basis for the decision. 
Well, if you had any advice to give to districts making this decision, because there are still some who are on the fence about it, what would you say? I will say to keep track of what is happening in the sites. I think that um, uh, some, you know, a lot of people have mentioned, you know, follow the data, make your decisions based on data. And I think that that's the most important thing. Well, Yeraria Bauer, really appreciate having you on today. Thank you. Yeraria Bauer, Superintendent for Alum Rock Unified School District. You, our listeners, are weighing in on your thoughts about what districts should or shouldn't do. And this listener writes... I'm a long-term sub at a public high school. I think it's time to lift the mandate. Most of us are vaxxed and boosted. I feel like the teens are starting to hide behind their masks, like masks are the new hoodies or hiding under long bangs. As an educator and parent, it's important our kids stay healthy, but to also be seen. Clarice tweets, I work with K through third grade kiddos at an after-school program, and all I'm going to say is if a kid even has the slightest sniffles or cough, They're getting a mask put on them, and I'll be wearing one, too. I did not get sick at all this year so far, but before the pandemic, kids coughed in my face, resulting in a gnarly illness. Let me go next to Anne in Oakland. Hi, Anne. Hi, good morning. I'm a a longtime educator here in Oakland, and I currently work in an alternative education program. Um, And I I just feel, after seeing now uh, over two years of students with very serious mental health issues as a result of being isolated in a way um, that I think we follow the county guidelines um, in terms of what mandates there are and focus less on that and the divisiveness that that causes and more on the overall well-being of our of our precious children. Mm. And thank you. Erin writes, I'm the mother of an almost five-year-old preschooler. She suffers from social anxiety, and I think masking makes that slightly worse, and I'm eager for her preschool to stop masking for that reason, but also want all the children, teachers, and families to stay safe. What are your guest thoughts on masking for preschools? Um, Dr. Lee, that's typically kids who are five and under who aren't able to be vaccinated. What are your thoughts? You know, you know, we are very fortunate in that we live in California, and so we have the opportunity to be outdoors a lot more than in other areas that really have long winters and have to stay indoors. So, I mean, you know, thinking about you know, creative ways to try and uh, bring some of that socialization into environments where we know outdoors is clearly um, uh, an easier environment and, you know, the need for masking outdoors uh, is uh, uh, not the same as uh, the need for masking indoors. Um, I would also just say that uh, we anticipate, we hope that there will eventually be, be a vaccine that is safe and effective that becomes available. Um, one of the other you know, key points I wanted to highlight and really appreciate Superintendent Bauer's comments about using local data and local context to help support and drive that decision-making as part of that decision-making in, in understanding cases and exposures um, and making sure that the priority is to keep students and their staff safe, you know, the other thing that I wanted to just uh, bring to readers' minds is it would be really helpful, I think, for parents and communities to understand what is the rate of vaccination in my school, you know, recognizing not everyone is eligible right now. We still have only a third of kids five to 11 years of age who are eligible for vaccine who are vaccinated uh, compared to those who are 12 to 17, where the rates of vaccination are on the order of, you know, uh, two thirds. 
Um, so thinking about that, thinking about how Santa Clara County has really managed it, uh, one of the criteria for um, de-escalation has been high vaccination in the community. So high vaccination rates in the community, so over 80%. If you knew as a parent that your kid was going into a school with extremely high vaccination rates, how you feel about that, your student's risk may be very different than if you're going into um, a place with lower vaccination rates. Are you worried about how low the vaccination rate has been for kids who are eligible? Interestingly, some of the districts noted that they were going to lift or make the masks optional or strongly recommended at a later date. For example, I think it was Sacramento that's doing it on April 18th and San Diego on April 4th and San Francisco on April 2nd in the elementary grades, in part because they were saying they wanted to give uh, families a chance to get their kids vaccinated if they haven't already. But as you note, the rates are low, and I'm unsure if whether or not parents are going to do that or be motivated to do that with it lifting. Can you shed some some light on on why maybe the the vaccination rates are low among kids? You know, I, I wish I had an easy answer for that because then I think we could come up with a series of solutions. Um, what I would say is that this is really an opportunity to you know have uh, parents be able to add additional layer of protection to their kids. It's highly reliable. Um, it doesn't depend on whether or not you know a certain proportion of kids are wearing masks in the classroom. So I do very much recommend that you know families uh, uh, seek care, uh, um, ask about vaccines, have that conversation conversation with your providers, whoever's caring for your children, um, to be able to understand what the benefits are. And particularly in this context of knowing that um, schools are functionally the community communities for our children. And we want to keep um, schools and communities as safe as possible. Uh, where we lag is clearly in the youngest. Um, we have done an, uh, you know, a great job in the Bay Area for those who are older adults. Uh, we have not done enough. I also think um, I really appreciate your comment that schools are encouraging parents to take this opportunity to go and go ahead and get vaccinated um, as much as is possible, you know, bringing vaccines into schools and making it easy and available uh, to do during, you know, the school time, maybe access is an issue, you know, perhaps it's really hard to get kids to the vaccine sites or vaccine centers or you want to be in a trusted place. All of those are really thing, important things to explore um, as schools, and particularly as you're looking to protect your students and your staff. Interestingly, though, I think it was you who noted that you get a lot of questions about the safety of vaccines. So I imagine that's driving it, even more so than concerns about the effects of COVID. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that what's, yes. <laughs> well, what I would say is that um, with the experience we've had and with the data that have emerged, I'm, it has been really um, uh, wonderful to see um, how safe these vaccines have been for kids and for adults. Um, we uh, are always making sure that people understand the benefits and the risks. Um, but I think that sometimes um, uh, people are focused on vaccines in a, in a vacuum without thinking about all of the um, risks associated with infection. In every single case that we've seen, um, the risks associated with infection are far higher and far more severe um, than any risks that we've seen with vaccination. And um, you know, we do believe, or we know that the um, vaccine is effective against MISC, a severe complication of COVID infection in children. And there's emerging data to suggest that it's actually also effective against PASC. We have a lot more to learn, but I, you know, I think. Um, 
I, I worry a lot more about the longer term impact of COVID infection um, and uh, than I do about um, uh, the vaccine. So the benefit risk balance in my mind is clear. Well, a couple of comments as listener writes, it's really sad that the people who are supposed to be taking care of us, making sure that we're protected and safe from communicable diseases have caved to people who prefer the smiles and expressions of strangers. Another listener writes, I deeply appreciate Dr. Grace Lee for correcting many common misconceptions around COVID and how it does impact kids. Long COVID does impact kids and indoor masking is still highly recommended. Barbara writes, I'm just concerned that people will forget about or not hear the strongly recommended part of the guidance. I also hope the districts do a lot of teaching that it is perfectly okay to wear a mask and the reason some may choose to do so. Kids don't usually like being different. We're talking with Dr. Grace Lee, Associate Chief Medical Officer for Practice Innovation and Pediatric Infectious Disease Physician for Stanford Children's Health about California's mask mandate ending tomorrow night for K-12 schools. This is a fundraising period for KQED and other public radio stations. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And let me go to a call from Matt in San Francisco. Hi, Matt. Thanks for waiting. Hi, Mina. Thanks so much. Uh, I wanted to make a comment that, you know, the masks, uh, we think that they are absolutely valuable and will encourage our kids who are kindergarten and preschool to continue wearing them uh, because masks are not intended to prevent the wearer uh, currently from catching COVID, but they're to prevent these preschoolers and kindergartners who sneeze all over the place and have boogers everywhere and touch their faces, we think it's a great way for them to prevent their friends from getting COVID. So that's the comment I wanted to make. And we will still encourage our kids up in the Marin County School District to continue wearing their masks at school because I was delighted to see that 99% of staff and teachers are actually vaccinated and boosted. Thank you. Matt, thanks for sharing your comment. Kyla writes, these conversations about risk frustrate me when a reference point is not given to put in perspective. More kids are killed every year in vehicle accidents than have died from COVID, but you don't see kids wearing helmets in cars, even though they would likely prevent a lot of those deaths. I'm not saying that all our risky behavior should be judged by our single highest risk activity, but I think we've clearly crossed a line with COVID to say the risk is generally low enough now. Any thoughts on Kyler's point, Dr. Lee? (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I would say that uh, clearly any preventable causes of death in children, I would say any parent, any one of us would say if we could prevent it, we would. Uh, it turns out that COVID is the eighth leading cause of death among children five to 11 years of age in the US. So um, oftentimes we're hearing the comparison, well, it's not as bad as adults. It turns out children don't die as often as adults. Um, and yet if there's a tool that we can have that uh, could prevent you know, an accident from happening or can prevent uh, a COVID death, it, you know, I would strongly endorse using that tool. It sounds like regardless, it's important we're hearing people's different perspectives on this, but it does feel like the state, the rest of the country is starting this shift to managing COVID as an endemic threat. And I wonder if you could give us some thoughts on how we should manage that and what the public needs to understand about what that process will entail. You know, I, I do think <laughs> I very much appreciate and recognize that we we certainly have to um, change as the pandemic changes. And we are 
in a point in where we are overall in the U.S., although there are still, you know, smaller areas uh, or local areas where activity may be higher or lower than others, um, where uh, if we are going to be able to start to learn how to live with uh, endemic COVID, um, that this is the time that we want to start to make that transition. Um, but I, I want to, again, highlight from the beginning that um, dropping the mandate doesn't mean that uh, we're dropping masks, we're changing it from it's not a mandate to it's strongly recommended in indoor settings to wear masks, you know, to protect ourselves and others. Um, so that's, you know, an important way of thinking about it. I think the other thing we have to do is understand that all risk is put in context. Uh, we need to really understand um, what situations we're going into that might be higher risk. So, you know, I'll just say in healthcare settings, we're uh, continuing to mask up in order to be able to protect our vulnerable patients who are there seeking care and want to make sure that they can receive safe uh, care in our in our own settings. Um, I guess the last thing I, I want to say is that, uh, you know, Dr. Pan alluded to this, but it is really important for us to make sure that it is, it's not a one size fits all decision. It's all not, and also not a one-time decision. So um, as things evolve, you know, if there is another wave that emerges, um, recognizing that although we are still strongly recommending masks indoors um, in you know, there's always a preference not to use mandates, but in, in a context where there, it's really important for us to make sure that we are mitigating risk in the community. Uh, there may be times where um, yeah, universal masking may come back uh, into the playbook as an important part of community mitigation strategies. It yeah, is, it, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to mention that it's really hard. You know, we know that masks can prevent infections, hospitalizations, and deaths, but they work when they're used early in the curve rather than at the height of the curve. And I think the hardest thing is knowing when to predict, when to turn on. The earlier we detect and then the earlier we implement, the better off we are. And we don't want to be implementing these strategies as we're in the peak of a wave. Yeah. Also, this is a good time to remind listeners that in public transit, emergency shelters, healthcare settings, jails and prisons, homeless shelters, and long-term care facilities, masks are still mandated. So, you know, in our last 30 seconds, Dr. Lee, as both a physician and a parent of school-age kids, what are you rec what are you having them do or asking them to do? Your own kids. <laughs> as a parent for my own kids, um, I am still encouraging them to wear masks. And in fact, um, uh, for um, my older parents, uh, uh, you know, their understanding also is that masks are going away. Um, and my response is, as others mask down, uh, you'll want to mask up. So increase the quality of your mask and making sure she's continuing to protect herself. So, um, you know, our hope is to keep everyone as safe as possible and to provide the moment to teach individuals how to protect themselves. Grace Lee, a pediatric infectious disease physician at Stanford Children's Health. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And my thanks to Caroline Smith for producing today's segment and for our listeners who weighed in with a whole range of thoughts on this. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.